Well, hello and welcome to episode number 473 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's packed show, we've got fake engine parts, a flying eye in the sky, more droning on and not just from me and a couple of and a couple having a love moment. We've also got an update from Armando about the Reno Air Races, and in the military we have a simulator training in the Ukraine, more droning on from Nev, and Fortnite becomes or comes to the B-52. So joining me this week across the village over in, well, cooler Suffolk, it is of course Matt Smith. <laughs> hello, hello, how are you? Oh, good, good. That's nice to be back in uh, in East Anglia. Lovely. Yes, you've been away for a week, although nobody's sort of noticed. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I had um, just I've just had a little holiday away over in the lovely Welsh borders. Ah, well, boy, over in, over yes. in Wales. Yes, okay. it's been very nice indeed. Very nice. Offending people once again, left, right, and centre. Well done. Uh <laughs> but I, I will say, I did manage to get some aviation. Um, time in when i was there of course you uh, did yesterday yeah. so yeah for those listeners who may have been to welsh pool airport i've been there now and it's it's quite nice it's a good calf as well as recommended <laughs> by our very own captain, captain al. al right of course yeah. yes i might have known i yeah ice cream vendors and places to eat are, are here's yes. your man yeah absolutely but uh, can i say a quick thank you to our very own matt smith for um being our house uh, sitter for the week so thank you matt uh, more than welcome, more than welcome. Uh, and uh, I have video evidence to prove it that Poppycat did yes. tolerate me. Uh, I should stress it was very much a tolerate of my presence, yeah. uh, but I was allowed to actually stroke her and everything. I don't, I, she's mellowing in her old age, bless her, I think. <laughs> I think it was bribery with tuna, but anyway. Uh, no, no, we didn't do tuna at all. Dreamies, yes, very <laughs> much so. Yeah, we did, we did bribe, bribe her with dreamies. <laughs> so he's back on again this week. It's our connoisseur. Of all things BA and seat 1A, it is, of course, Neville Bounds. Yes, in fact, although this week I was in uh, what would be seat 1D, I suppose, which is the right-hand side of my Focus <laughs> ST, because I was doing lots of driving this week, uh, rather than flying up to Edinburgh and, and uh, Aberdeen. And uh, it's still a long way. No matter which way you cut it, it's still a long way. But <laughs> yeah. the traffic behaved itself. It did. Uh, but unfortunately, last week I picked up a bit of a cold cough thing, which is lingering, which you'll probably still hear. So I do apologise for that. Hopefully, mm. it's on, on the way out. Um, but um, no, I had a very good week, very busy at work. Uh, and if uh, Mina is listening, hello, Mina. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh -huh. Very good. Okay. So you've you put a few more miles on the old banana then. Oh, 1,200 miles this week. Oh, what? <laughs> Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah, it's a lot. God, Mac, Mac, could you imagine if they still done those blue chip stamps at the petrol station? Nev would have a full tea set plus um, like a, a napkin set, wouldn't he? Do you remember those I, blue I've, diamond stamps? I've never heard of, no, I've heard of green shield stamps. I've never heard oh, of green shield stamps. Yeah, yeah, Nev, you must have heard of those. We used to collect them a lot back in the yeah. day. My, my mum, uh, we bought lots of kitchen items that we only ever used yeah. once or twice. It, it was uh, it was it was um, Esso tokens in my yes. day, where if you bought, where if you collected fourteen thousand, you could have a small fourteen-inch TV. That sort yeah. of uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I do know somebody who actually who literally used Esso just to get the oh, TV, dear. just to see if it was actually possible. Then, then were the days. Yes. Were the days. Rich, Richard Adams, remember those green shield? He says they're brilliant. Yes. 
And back with us this week, he's back with us. Thank God he's back with us this week. <laughs> because we have missed him. Honestly, we've missed him. There's been a big hole in the side of the podcast for the last few weeks. But he's back with uh, plenty of uh, good information and chat and stuff about where he's been up to anyway. He is, of course, our resident pilot of everything that has wings, Armando. Well, big holes in the side of anything are always bad in aviation, <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about a rapid decompression a little bit later. Hey, oh, you see. Yeah. <laughs> how, are you, how are you, Armando? Uh, good, Carlos. Uh, it's nice to see the team. Nice to be back on the show. It's been busy. The summer flying season, like I've been talking about on the videos, it's just been so, so busy. Now it's starting to taper off a little bit, and we'll have a little bit of a lull for the next two months, I would say, and then right in... Uh, November just picks up again, and then for the holidays, we'll be flying a bunch again. So, yeah, that's pretty much been it. <clears throat> Am I allowed to start going off bang yet, by the way? Is, is that allowed? No. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I'm uh, going off bang. Excited. Oh, excited, yes, because uh, Matt is off very, very soon to go and join Armando over in the US <laughs> of A. And, uh, Matt, you are, you're going to be... Uh, Traveling over with the glorious American Airlines, which I'm All sure right, you don't, have don't spoil of it. I'm excited at the moment. Don't ruin it. <laughs> Just you make, know what, sure, my, make my, sure you have a fudge Sunday. What? <laughs> I don't. What, what you do in your about, own time, dear, is entirely up to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my favorite. Part already preemptively about Matt's trip to the U.S. to Charlotte is it just happens to fall within our Renaissance fair, oh, and right. I told him that as a as a family we were already going to go. Right. But what you get is a bunch of people from the Carolinas speaking with a fake British accent and hey. like little foam swords and stuff. So when Matt actually shows up to the Renaissance fair next Saturday. I'm sure some people are going to be like, oh, his accent is so realistic. Or, uh, you, you, or know, you, you know what's actually going to happen, Armando? They're going to think it's rubbish. That's what they're going yeah. to think. It's just like it's a really rubbish accent. This guy. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, where, is he? where did you drag him up from? Uh, the um, Interestingly enough, uh, you guys weren't on the call, but Nev, you were here earlier, weren't you? And uh, M Mother is literally making the outfit as we speak. Uh, it's been... This yeah, it's it's been. This made. is going to be such a great thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and little, and it's going to be an entire weekend of of what Americans think British people were like in the in the fifteenth century, essentially. In the fifteenth yeah, yeah. century, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. all acted out. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, should be I, fun. I'm a little worried. Mum's gone too gone to too much trouble because she was literally when I got home, she was literally googling like the fifteenth century and the outfits and and there's a hat on the oh, way wow. and and I've got a little coin purse for my fake dollars and it's just it's just all got a bit nuts. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I'm know. just shooting for like Anigo Montoya from the Princess Bride. Bless you, what? <laughs> Anigo Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. No? Nobody? All right. The chat room knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Am I having a breakdown? What? 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 <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. The chat room, our listeners, we'll all know. Everybody but the people on this call will know uh, exactly what I'm talking Mazus, about. Mazus, I can't use the words I want to use because we are live now, but you can absolutely go away with that suggestion. Not happening. Uh, <laughs> on that subject of, well, slightly off. Um, weekly roundup time, and uh, Armando, it's safe to say you've got. Um, Hang on, we haven't said hello to Nick yet. Oh, 
Sorry, so I, I, didn't, I didn't know whether Nick was appearing this week. <laughs> I oh, thought he was there. He was going to hide in the background. That's actually, we have got our uh, assistant executive producer, uh, Nick, with us this week. So, Nick, he's uh, looking less shinier than he was when yes. he first joined yes. us on the call this evening. Uh, Nick, before we started, had a little trip round the sun, it seems, from the way his camera was playing up earlier. Nick, you All look right. lovely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Carlos. I have... <laughs> I have had an, a, uh, an ear yep. lowering this week. So, uh, exactly. Very good. Yes, well done, I'm, a, yes. I'm a more yeah. lightweight uh, sporting version. Actually, uh, uh, while we're here, not that anyone winter. in the chat room will care about this, by the way, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to decide whether to grow a beard ready for Saturday or oh, to definitely. shave it off. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I genuinely don't want to do. Uh, You're some... basically going to be like the guy in Love Actually, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is how I'm picturing you now. They'll yeah, be asking right, you to say, okay. well, say if somebody bottle. if somebody could uh, you know sort of you know answers on a postcard, votes in the chat room or something like that, please. It's like I started growing it in case it would be a good idea to have a beard when I come out when when I come out to see Um It is driving me nuts because it's itchy, but like you know, I think you've just got to go through it. it. Like yeah. really, like trim it just just so it's like perfect bar round that. A you know, bar, like you know. What a handlebar moustache! Get rid of all this hair and just have a perfect little. Yeah, you know, like when you get on the roller coaster and there's that bar that you hold on to, just like nice. <laughs> Nev, please, please help. Anyway, aviation, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, getting back to aviation. Armando, you have um, so soon. Yeah. You've, you've had a very busy um, last kind of well, last week really, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go into Reno here very briefly because we actually had um, some listener feedback that we want to address. But um, um, excuse me, <clears throat> the uh, the biggest accomplishment that has happened is uh, so as you guys know, I was flying the the Stearman all last year, right? Just flying with my buddy Brian here, and we bought the Cub, the Super the Super Cub, and it was great flying with the window open. Well, I feel like I wanted more uh, air in my hair. Uh, I don't have any hair. So like um, I decided to buy a biplane and we uh, I went up and looked at it a couple times and we signed papers on it last week. So we are now the owners of a HATS biplane. It's a HATS CB1. Beautiful build. Matt's got the pictures up there. If you're listening to the audio version of this, it's uh, kind of a, a really, well, it's perfect for fall. It's like a pumpkin spice latte pumpkin colored um real classic paint job but it's a uh, completely restored and the restoration was just finished in january of this year so it's an entirely new airframe new avionics new paint new fabric new engine uh new prop it's it's essentially a brand new airplane which uh i, I couldn't pass up i went i flew it once and right around uh west point virginia so john John Jester and John Jester, his dad, are both listening there in Chincoteague, Virginia. So right around the the eastern shore of uh, Maryland or Virginia. And it was just a beautiful airplane. And immediately I fell in love with it, signed it, uh, signed the papers for it. So we'll be selling the Super Cub. Uh, yeah, but you're going to like the, the biplane better. So we'll keep the 50-50 the partnership in the 206 and then the uh, the biplane for our sort of fun, you know, hang hanging out the Go to lunch type flying. You're becoming like a guitarist. You can't just have them, can you? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but it's so pretty. Um, 
So, uh, and then the last couple of weeks, you know, you guys aired out some of the Reno clips that I took. Uh, unfortunately, Reno didn't end on a happy note. We, we lost two pilots to uh, two T6s, had a mid-air collision on base to final turn on the last day. Uh, kind of similar to last year, different circumstances, of course, but similar to last year where the last day of a, of a really, really great week, it just ended really sadly. Um, and that was the last day of the last Reno uh, gold races were canceled for the rest of the time. So um, so Reno was the last couple of weeks and we actually had a listener. So we had Bill wrote us and, and kind of asked my opinion on what I thought about Reno and why it ended. Um, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but there was a couple different factors. So there, were, there was no kidding failure points. Two, two reasons why Reno could not go on uh, legally, financially. One was that that area north of Reno, Nevada, it's, uh, it's actually Stead, um, the town. Uh, the housing is just growing. And that airfield used to be an old World War II Army airfield. And it was out in the middle of nowhere. But over the last 60 years, just the housing has increased and they've, they've continued to encroach upon the airfield, um, which is perfectly normal that the but the aircraft are going so fast that the risk to the people on the ground um, was just a little bit too much for the the Reno Tahoe authorities to um, to accept that risk. So that was number one. Number two was the insurance for for the last however many years, um, the Reno Tahoe Airport Authority had actually picked up the insurance bill. And as you can imagine, to put on an event that has hundreds of thousands of spectators, um, you know, 100 airplanes, air show acts, the whole deal, that's a pretty big insurance bill. And last year, they informed the Reno Air Race Association that they would no longer be footing the bill for the insurance. Therefore, uh, we, we, the organization, do not make nearly enough money off of this to be able to cover, you know, a $3 million insurance uh, premium for the week in addition to the, the grandstands, the tents, the volunteers, the fuel, uh, all the infrastructure, the media coverage, all that stuff. So um, really that that was the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Um, the challenges, so those were the two reasons I think that Reno ended. Um, the challenges, the mishaps, you know, that we've talked about over the, over the many years, but now it's, you know, really public. Now when you Google the Reno Air Race, unfortunately it's the, uh, mishaps that that come to the top of the search um you know search bar another thing that i kind of thought is uh it, it, the the young people are not really interested in motorsports like they were in the 50s 60s 70s um back then flying airplanes uh, high you know v12 1000 1200 3000 horsepower uh watching these these old world war ii aircraft um, that was a thing that was in that generation that had grown up in the 50s and the 60s without uh, media and video games and all this stuff. We The fan base is just not there anymore. Most of that fan base is retiring. So uh, putting on an event that has P-51s and P-40s uh, essentially just parading around because nobody's pushing the engines anymore because there's not that many spare P-51 engines. Um, that The fan base is, is really just kind of um, disappearing on us. And then, and then we lost our title sponsor uh, a couple of years ago. The Steel um, Power Tools uh, folks uh, no longer uh, were sponsoring the races. So, um, yeah, that is what 
you know, my opinion is on why Reno could no longer go on. Um, Reno itself won't go on and it's in the way we know it, but the future, you know, sport class air racing uh, is an, an, an FAA authorized air race organizer. Stoll Drag, really popular. They're an authorized air race organizer and uh, Formula One. Um, and all three of us actually are, are accredited by Transport Canada also as an air race organizer. Uh, so we will have a future sport class uh, has a race uh, October 21st in Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's going to be our fast guys. We'll be there next year. We're already racing in Madras, Oregon, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Red Deer, Alberta, in conjunction with their air shows. Stoll Drag, you know, uh, Trent Palmer, Kevin Quinn, all those guys that are really popular on social media. They already have uh, three races for next year and then probably a couple more. They'll be in Wayne, Nebraska, Columbus, Ohio, and the High Sierra fly-in in Nevada. Unfortunately, who doesn't have a future is the biplanes, the T6s, the Unlimiteds, which are your, your Warbirds and the Jets. None of those are approved air race organizers. So um, we'll see where they land. They may just end up as static displays on air shows. And that gentlemen is your reno update for i guess the next couple of years hmm. yeah do, i mean do you uh, forget again forget uh, you were sort of mentioning there the like lack of crowds and all that kind of thing do you, do you think um it's run its course perhaps uh reno as we know it yeah i think so um you know the people that traveled out to nevada to go see this uh, are retired. They can't really travel anymore. Mm. So um, unless there was a massive shift, and that may be what it results in. You remember how Red Bull Air Racing mm. had actually pretty small uh, stands there in London by the O2 Arena, but it was televised worldwide. Uh, we didn't have anything like that. We didn't, you know, we didn't have any real time coverage. No big name uh, television coverage. So yeah. Mm, indeed well and obviously uh you know our, our thoughts go out to everybody who, who lost somebody as a you know obviously as part of, of that very very sad uh as you say and in, in some respects uh, i mean for many reasons a big big shame but of course it's it's sort of shame for an event like that to come to a close if you like with that being the passing memory almost of of uh essentially you know people losing their lives yep well we've talked about it with with many air shows that are no longer being put on between crowds, mm. insurance, risk, and mishaps, it's um, it's uh, not feasible to put them on. Indeed, indeed. Now, before we uh, get into the uh, into the, the the show and stuff, uh, I just wanted to say to uh, Nev actually. Uh, very kindly put together the show that we brought you last week um which was from duxford and uh it was it was a, a real joy we sort of just sort of made the decision on the day didn't we in the end uh, yes it was uh, some uh, creative and fast thinking on our feet when we realised that there probably wasn't going to be enough people around to do the show. I know, indeed. This, this was the thing. And uh, yeah. uh, a great meet-up as well, wasn't there? Loads of people there um, uh, sort of coming, coming to see us, including, uh, well, it was jo well, in fact, most of the people who came to visit us did, uh, did get a little appearance, didn't they, in the, uh, in the, yeah. uh, the, the show it itself. It was really, really good. And uh, the weather just about held out, didn't it? It was looking a bit, bit dodgy throughout the whole day, but we got some great great interviews yeah. uh, and some nice chats with people that we don't see very often, perhaps just once or twice a year, but uh, really good and really good crowds there 
uh, the next on air show, especially those Spitfires as well. Indeed, they were absolutely fabulous. Uh, Armando, you did catch it, didn't you? You you, you, were, you did uh, watch the uh, the event. I know you rang us while we were there, which was nice. So thank you for that. <laughs> I did. I thought it was a great air show. I, I I wish I would have been there to see it because that many Spitfires that you know, and then watching the Lancaster and the B seventeen flying together. I thought you guys did a really good job, and and I'll second that to Nev. Um, really, really well done putting that show together quickly, and the interviews were great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Indeed, indeed. Here's to the next so, one. That's what I say. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> they got, I think, they got one last show before the end of this year. Ducks would have, which is their like kind of last, sort of kind of last air show of the season, which is coming up. I think next month. But uh, yeah, it's not going to be quite as big as the one we were at. No, so. I don't think so. This is this is the big event, isn't it? The Battle of the Britain um, air, yeah. air show is is there the big one in the calendar, isn't it? Uh, uh, so I'm going to say a quick hello to everyone in the chat room before we move on. Um, Zeus is in the chat room tonight. Richard Adams, hello to you. Uh, Lee Davies, hello. We've got. Uh, Mer well, are we? No, Nick Codling. He's in the chat room. Hello, Nick. Uh, Oscar's in there as well. Hello to Oscar, our youngest listener there as well, our local listener, Oscar. Hello to you. John Jester's also in there. Hobby Time, hello to you as well. Uh, let me scroll down. Uh, Pilot Pip's in there as well. Hello, Pip. Uh, we've got Jenny over in Rome. She's now nipping off for her tea. So she's going to tune in uh, later on. I'm just going to interrupt you there with the video. That, can you see all those Spitfires in the it sky? How I'm insane. watching that while I'm reading this. It's, it's insane. Look at that. Uh, Mark Priestley, hello to you as well. Our main man, Uncle Micah, as well, is also in the chat room. And uh, don't forget, if you're listening to us in the audio show, check us out on YouTube. We're on there, Plain Talking UK. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell icon to be notified when we're live broadcasting shows like we are now and showing great video like Matt is showing right now of the Duxford air show there. Very good indeed. We'll have to go again next year, I think, guys. I think so, yeah. So it's time for some commercial news. So if all the team are ready. Certainly are. Ready to go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So before we uh, kick off the news this week, hello to Sam, who's joined us in the chat room. Good to see you in there. First time he's caught the f live show. Uh, good to see you there, Sam. Uh, so the first uh, story this week from simpleflying.com. Now, we all love uh, a good kind of uh, alternative kind of genuine part when you're buying stuff for your car. It's always good to find a bargain kind of, you know, not manufactured. That's what you say, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> But when it comes to aircraft, probably buying aftermarket parts is not really the way forward. And this story is uh, American Airlines discovers fake CFM engine parts. Um, American Airlines has become the latest major airline to discover engine parts on its aircraft potentially linked to those with falsified documentation. The airline noted that it had found parts on at least one aircraft that was supplied by AOG Technics, a UK-based company accused of selling parts for the CFM56 engine that did not have the correct certification. 
In the latest installation of the AOG Technics drama, another airline has come out publicly with its findings of parts with bogus certification documents. And CFM has taken AOG to court over falsified documents for parts on its CFM 56 engines, which the engine maker says said could affect as many as 96 aircraft around the world. The CFM 56 engine is used on both older generation A320s and Boeing 737s. Overall, 86 falsified documents have been found covering 55 CFM 56 part numbers and two CF6 part numbers. American Airlines is the latest to be affected by the improperly certified spare parts. The airline told Bloomberg on the 21st of September that it had identified the AOG parts on at least one of its aircraft. The airline did not specifically identify which part it found and how many aircraft were affected. The spokesperson for the airline said, though the work of internal audits uh, is well is, as well as collaboration with our suppliers, we've identified the uncertified components on a small number of aircraft. He said each were immediately taken out of service for replacement and will continue working with our suppliers and coordinating closely with the FAA to ensure these parts are no longer in our supply or otherwise used on our aircraft. Americans' findings come within a day of the FAA issuing warnings to airlines and other aviation companies in the United States. And the FAA announced that uh, unapproved parts may be on aircraft that owners should inspect their planes and inventories for affected parts. Southwest Airlines was the first major carrier to discover AOG components on its aircraft. The airline found two low-pressure turbine blades on one of its Boeing 737 aircraft on September the 8th, and the faulty parts were immediately replaced before the aircraft was returned to service. Several days later, Virgin Australia announced that it had grounded two of its 737s due to finding fraudulent parts. The first aircraft, uh, Victor Hotel Victor Uniform Tango, had an AOG uh, supplied low-pressure turbine blade, which was replaced and the aircraft returned to service. Its second aircraft, Victor Hotel Yankee Foxtrot Romeo, was found to have a seal supplied by AOG that was located on an inner high-pressure turbine nozzle. Now, the story does go on um, with other airlines having issues with engine parts. It's safe to say CFM is um, a very popular engine. I'm, I'm pretty confident that pretty much all of uh, Ryanair's fleet of 737-800s here in the UK are powered by CFM engines. And uh, I think uh, quite a few of the uh, BA's Airbus, I think, Nev, have the CFM. A few, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, not, not that many, actually. Um, but... Um... Funny enough, we've just had it in our industry, uh, in the world of professional audio, we've just had a huge uh, scandal been uncovered over the last couple of months where a famous loudspeaker manufacturer has uh, taken people to court over uh, fake products. Um, these are oh, big wow. speakers that you might see at uh, stadiums and large events, not just, of course, the possible possibility of electronics failures and, and stuff like that but also actually flying these things as well that the structural integrity um, so uh, yeah this can happen in any industry but of course in a, in a safety critical environment it's yeah. uh, absolutely essential isn't it our thoughts Armando because obviously this is um, across your your end here with American um, yeah I mean it, it not only American but I'm gonna take it military this see uh, this engine is on the 737 the p8 Poseidon uh, it's on the KC's uh, 767s, the uh, um, KC 46s. So, like, I don't understand how it gets to the point 
where a company can sell fake parts like this. And I think this is the second time in a couple years that this has happened. We had a similar incident, I don't know, probably two, three years ago we talked about on the show. Um, it was an engine component, but it was some other component. And I just don't understand how companies go down this road where they uh, knowingly are selling bogus parts or refurb parts or just anything uh, disingenuous like you guys are saying to, to an industry like aviation where safety is paramount. I don't, I just don't understand how you get there. I hope somebody goes to jail about this. Right. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, that's uh, I mean, surely they will get to the, I mean, something as, as serious as this, they will get to the bottom of it. Right. Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah. Not the KC 46, by the way, KC 135. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, before Jonathan it's... Warner corrects me. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess when you're when you're buying parts for your bikes, guys, especially you, Nick, obviously because you're a motorcyclist as well, you, you kind of do you still, I'm guessing you stick to genuine parts rather than aftermarket. Yeah, the the bike gets everything that it needs according to the manufacturer's schedule. The car, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, Nev, you've got some good news for younger generation who may want to be a commercial pilot yeah well we all thought the days of uh, airline company sponsored cadets uh, was over I mean, that used to be much uh, the, the part of the, the way people came into the aviation world in the 60s 70s and the early parts of the 80s uh, then went away for a long time and people had to do self-funding but now British Airways according to uh, breakingtravelnews.com um, has launched the Speedbird Pilot Academy and prospective pilots can ap uh, apply for a place on a new British Airways scheme that will see the £100,000 cost of their training covered entirely by the airline. The National Flag Carrier Speedbird Pilot Academy programme will lift the previously prohibitive cost barrier of training to become an airline pilot for up to 60 successful candidates per year, helping to level the playing field and make flying a, a flying career a realistic option for all. It's hoped that by removing the high costs associated with pilot training from the applicant, people from across all communities will be encouraged to apply. Successful recruits will also have accommodation food costs covered during their 16-month training period, making it the only airline scheme that removes all associated costs from the individual. Uh, Sean Doyle, who's British Airways Chairman and CEO, said the Speedbird Pilot Academy will make the ambition of becoming a British Airways pilot a reality for people who'd previously written the option off because of the cost barrier. Our aim is to attract the very best talent out there for our future generations of pilots. Whether someone is just leaving school or embarking on a second career, they never thought possible. We're levelling the playing field by removing the initial training cost barrier to make a flying career more accessible to a wider range of people and giving everyone an equal chance. Applications for the scheme can now be submitted via the airline's career website and applicants are being encouraged to apply quickly as uh, due to the sorry, due to the expected unprecedented demand and this is going to close within seven days. Training will begin early next year and upon completion of the course recruits will land a full-time salaried position with the airline. 
BA is working closely with Fantasy Wings, the leading UK organisation for diversity in aviation and a member of the BA Better World Community Fund to promote the scheme to young people from black, Asian and minority, minority ethnic backgrounds. Other communities around the countries and young women and in the avian, uh, avian, aviation industry. Uh, British Airways Senior First Officer and former cadet Hannah Vaughan, who's 32, described the scheme as groundbreaking and said that it was important for the airline to attract the top applicants and remove barriers that may have put people off previously. Um, she lists a few of the uh, sort of myths and truths about becoming a pilot. Uh, one of the things which is a bit of a myth is you have to be uh, wealthy in the first place, which is actually false, she says. The BA Speedbird Pilot Academy is entirely f funded by the airline, as we've already said. Um, it also, she also says uh, one of the myths that is that you can only become a pilot if you have a university degree. That's not true either because the cadet scheme offers a great career without the need for a degree at all. And there's various other uh, parameters there that she goes uh, through. Uh, but uh, anyone who's uh, between the age of 18 and 55 when they start their training can apply and everyone has an equal chance of being successful, she says. So that's encouraging, isn't it, actually, to see a, a mainstream airline offering uh, sponsored uh, cadetships to prospective pilots. This is good news. I, I feel like, you know, it's about time we started seeing something like this, and I'm glad BA have um, taken up the, you know, mantle as such. But Armando, what do you think? Well, I was going to say that they've started listening to us at PTUK. I feel like we've been talking <laughs> about this for a long time. Ned, the letter you wrote them must have gone all the way to the top. There you go. This is exactly what we need airlines to be doing to step to step up a little bit. I mean, six hundred thousand dollars or six hundred thousand pounds. So, uh, you know, is uh, is a lot, right? Oh no, I guess it would be more than that, right? Sixty cadets a year at a hundred thousand a piece. So yeah, that's a, a money, pretty big yeah. investment on the on behalf of the airline, and what a unique opportunity to start your training from day one in with the. Uh, procedures and the culture of the airline that you're going to work for so i think it's a great idea yeah and hopefully this might spark some other airlines to you never know take up yep. the same idea you never great know, idea guys. Say, by the yeah. way you you just have to be under 55 to apply to this so i'm just saying we have some candidates here in the show i did send this to producer john and i was like hey buddy <laughs> yeah. Give it a try. Absolutely. We've still Why got not five a... years left on that. So, uh, yeah, not too late is the not reality of that one. Um, we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll not talk to Nev about it. We'll just... yeah, no, that's... <laughs> Nev's just smitten now because it's BA who've started this off. Yes, you? absolutely. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely delighted, and it's about time because. Um, yeah. This self-funding stuff, I mean, it's a second mortgage, isn't it? Let's, let's mm. be honest. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the costs. Yeah. Indeed. And you know what I would love to see is on the first day or second day of class, as all the cadets are in there, is Nev walk into the class and talk to them about BA culture and what, <laughs> why it is that they're going to do what they're going to do for the next 20 years, right? Absolutely. Because yeah. without, yeah. without happy customers... Well, true and true. And actually, going back to what you were saying there about the, that, Nev, because uh, the reality is the second mortgage, essentially, and there is no guarantee of a happy ending. You know, um, we, Carlos and I both know some, someone who's... <laughs> I see what he did there. Moving on. Uh, 
was uh, uh, somebody we both know who who did literally invest all that money in trying to to sort of become a commercial pilot and literally just you know a, a very bad run of luck uh, a couple of airlines sort of let him down at the last minute um, and then literally the money ran out and now virtually everything that he's worked so hard for has expired you know because yeah. it only lasts a couple of years. That's the other scary thing. All of these currencies that you, you've you've gathered just just expire. I'll move on to the next story because I, I think... just, no, I just I'm just reading the chat room. There's some quite good comments in there. Actually, there? But no, okay. I won't uh, look. Next, next uh, up, Matt, you've got a story about. I actually saw this. I saw this on Twitter first when it came on there that someone had put uh, a video on here. But this is. You know, we see about, obviously, drones being an issue with mm. aircraft, but um, this is something a bit different. Indeed, indeed. Aviation24.be is the source on this one. And the headline is, Balloon flies into the engine of a KLM Boeing 777 during landing runway is then closed. A KLM Boeing... 777-300 had an unexpected encounter with multiple balloons during its landing at uh, an airport in Sao Paulo, Brazil, leading to the temporary closure of the runway. Flight KL-791 arrived in Brazil from Amsterdam on Monday evening after an approximately 11-hour and 20-minute journey. Upon landing, the pilot of the Boeing 777-300ER registered as Papa Hotel Bravo Victor Whiskey. Uh, reported to Air Traffic Control Tower that the aircraft had struck several balloons at altitudes of 500 feet. A video of the conversation between the pilot and Air Traffic Controller has been posted on the Brazilian site Aeroin, uh, in which the KLM pilot states, we flew past at least three balloons and one of them in indefinitely flew into our right engine. The nature of these balloons remains unclear. In response to the incident, the Brazilian airport temporarily closed the runway for inspection. Remarkably, the uh, vehicle, the aircraft I should say, was back in operation for the return flight to Amsterdam a few hours after the incident. KLM operates daily flights from Schiphol to Sao Paulo uh, using the Boeing 777-300ER. Hmm. When I heard this, if you, listen, if, you, if you watch the video, there is a video online for this. And and the pilot kind of lets the the ATC know that he's obviously had this balloon incident. And I must admit, when you listen to it, the 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 ATC controller just sort of doesn't really, you know, really seem all that bothered really by the whole um, whole thing. How, and again, forgive my naivety here, but I mean, what what risk is there to an aircraft of? I mean, I'm assuming these were helium balloons. I mean, they haven't said otherwise. Um, but, I mean, what real yeah. risk is there to, to a jet engine of that nature? Well, you never know. That's the problem. <laughs> ah. it, it could be none or, or it could be a lot, right? And, and losing an engine on short final uh, may not be a big thing. I mean, you're, you're at reduced power already. So, you know, most pilots, I think, would just go ahead and take it in and, and land. But uh, it certainly would be, as I always say, an emotional event if you're, mm. you know, 30 seconds to touchdown and suddenly you, you lose an engine or you ingest something. But, you, you know, like we were talking about the, the CFM engines and, and really anything that's out there, they're so computerized that the, if the engine senses an anomaly that is outside of its tolerances, outside of the algorithm, it, it will either alert you to it or shut down the engine itself. 
Um, so depending on how many balloons, what kind of balloons, where they end up, they could just go through the fan and go out the, you know, the bypass, or they could get ingested into uh, a more critical part of the engine, um, sort of that inner circle, inner core. Um, I, uh, these, I, I have seen plenty of balloons, little mylar balloons and helium balloons, and um, I always take evasive action to see them. They're actually more common than you think. You know, birthday oh, really? parties, things like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think they tried to ban those lantern things, didn't they, Matt? In the UK here. You know, they the did. Ones, yeah. The, I think they. I yeah. think they were successful. There is a ban in place for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because they have actually got a metal kind of structure, actual framework to mm. them, haven't they? Yeah, which which obviously would be a very different story if it was ingested yeah. by an engine, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Armando, well, you've got a next story, and um, I think Nick done this one deliberately because it's got a bit of theme of two things that you both like. <laughs> right from MotorcycleNews.com, where we get all our aviation stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Warwickshire police have been tackling motorcycle crime and theft in the county with the help of a propeller aircraft flown by the National Police Air Service. Uh, rather than opting for a more publicized uh, helicopter support, also more expensive, uh, the aircraft was deployed above Bedworth and, oh man, help me, Nun Nuneaton? Nuneaton. Nuneaton. Um, on September 10th to help search for two suspects connected with the theft of a motorcycle from Bedworth. Uh, extra officers were already uh, on the ground in the area. Uh, following a recent run of motorcycle-related thefts and robberies, the team responded to a 999 call reporting the incident was in progress, as well as identifying the two suspects on two motorbikes. Um, having failed to stop for the police, additional air support was called in. Those are great words that I love to hear. Air support being called in. Uh, once in the air, the uh, aircraft tracked the two suspects for almost an hour uh, before being located at a house in Laburnum, Laburnum Grove, Nuneaton. There you go. Somewhere, somewhere in Laburnum. No, that's not it. Um, anyways, a search of the property also revealed a stolen quad, quad bike, uh, which was also seized. A uh, 17-year-old boy, a 20-year-old man, uh, were both arrested on suspicion of failing to stop, dangerous driving, and theft of a motor vehicle. Um, yeah, so uh, we have some notes in there too. The this is, a, I believe, it's a Technum P two thousand eight is what it looks like to me. I, uh, I would hate to correct you there. It's a, a Vulcan Air. Um, Vulcan Air, yeah, sixty eight. Okay, yeah, it's got the, the, I guess the Technum has a, a full glass nose. Yeah, I was going to mention um, <laughs> Yeah, really cool. So, I mean, even a, a twin-engine, multi-engine piston aircraft like this is, ah, geez, a, a one-twentieth the cost of, of throwing a helicopter up in the air. Mm. And the loiter time is, is generally a lot more. Uh, you can do a lot. I You know, I, I flew a lot of different... Uh, surveillance aircraft in the air force and and this is such an incredible asset for the uh for any police force um to have and and especially loaded with the right equipment and the right uh operators that it's such a, a really good way to tackle crime from the air um yeah really really uh, interesting Will that be a single pilot operation i'm wondering you think yeah most likely yeah. the the right seater would would likely be uh, whatever version of 
an air interdiction officer. Uh, maybe the right seater would work the radio communications between the aircraft and the ground. And then you may even have, depending on the sensors on board, um, the right seater may operate those, or there may be an, an extra operator in the back with, uh, with a sensor, a police camera of sorts. But yeah, it would be single pilot. But different now because we're used to seeing the helicopters around all the time. But um, you don't generally tend to see fixed-wing aircraft, well, not around here anyway, used by the um, used by the police. But obviously, they've got a bit of a bigger area to cover. Mm -hmm. you know, well, the, as, uh, as taxpayers, this should be important to you because um, it's much more efficient than a helicopter. So, from one aircraft to another smaller one, uh, AirLive.net. This one is London Heathrow forced to close runway after a drone was spotted flying within three feet of a plane. Matt, that wasn't you, was it? No. Uh, not no. guilty, Your Honour. No, no, no. Uh, okay. Uh, in a report by Airprox Board, the event uh, was documented as, uh, documented as high-risk incident, which resulted in safety procedures grounding aircraft at Heathrow. On April 8th, a pilot of an A320 reported sighting a drone at 11.35 in the morning, 3,000 feet above Maidenhead. Uh, originally spotted on the right-hand side of the aircraft, ATC asked the pilot if they were happy to continue the approach to the runway, which the pilot approved, as the drone was staying to the right of the center line of their approach. However, the drone later flew under the left wing, reportedly only a few meters from the engine. ATC was updated on the drone's movements and made the decision to close the runway. In the Airprox board report, it added the pilot described the drone as being round-shaped with a purple turquoise colour. Uh, the pilot later estimated the drone came within 10 feet of the aircraft with the risk of collision high and immediate risk. As the controller considered this an immediate risk to the aircraft, they immediately discontinued arrivals on runway 09 left and coordinated switching to 09 right. The Heathrow approach controller reported that the pilots of three different aircraft also spotted the drone in the vicinity. I thought you weren't supposed to be able to use these near airports. Isn't there such a thing so, as that geo Yeah, ge geo-blocking and geo... Yeah, no, it. That, it, it is a thing. Uh, it's... Uh... The, the only reason it probably didn't kick in is it was probably a drone that has had that functionality disabled and probably not being flown by somebody who's done all the various, um, you know, the, the, the licenses. Common sense. And, yeah, well, common sense as well. But, yeah, that, that's probably the reality is that uh, the only reason they were able to do it is because they'd essentially hotwired it so that they could. Yeah. Well, shoot them out of the sky. Although I do still would love to have one myself, but uh, I'd probably end up putting it into a field somewhere and that'll be it. End of story. <laughs> Nev, you've got the next story, um, which is uh, a bit of a sad one, this is, with BA. It is, yeah. It's on travelradar.aero. Uh, it says that a British Airways passenger believed to be sleeping by fellow passengers was sadly found deceased on board a Nice-bound flight last week. The passenger is believed to have suffered a heart attack on board. However, further details on the incident and the passenger's identity have yet to be released. The 73-year-old female passenger was travelling on BA flight 348 from Heathrow to Nice-Côte d'Azur uh, on Thursday of last week. Uh, fellow passengers believed the, woman to be a, uh, believed the woman to be asleep but became suspicious upon landing when the individual in question remained still and was not able to be roused whilst other passengers began collecting their belongings. 
Flight attendants were alerted to the situation by concerned passengers and the emergency services were called to the scene. Paramedics sadly pronounced the passenger dead at around 10pm local time following unsuccessful attempts to revive her. Uh, the passenger is reported to have suffered a heart attack during the flight, although this has yet to be confirmed. In addition, the identity and the nationality of the passenger are not currently known, nor whether she was travelling alone or with friends or family members. Um, there's some obviously protocol for this kind of stuff um, w with regard to deaths on board uh, aircraft and how staff should respond. Well, according to the Civil Aviation Authority, there is one fatality for every 287 million passengers carried by UK air operators, making onboard deaths an extremely rare event. However, although rare, airline staff must be prepared to deal with onboard deaths in a practical and compassionate uh, manner. Uh, IATA, uh, the International Air Transport Association, issues guidance to airlines regarding onboard deaths, including when to cease resuscitation and how to deal with the death or presumed death of a passenger on board an aircraft. If a, a passenger is presumed dead, the IATA's guidelines advise for their body to be moved to a seat away from other passengers, if possible. At the discretion of the crew, the body may be moved to another area of the plane, not obstructing aisles and exits. The body must be covered, either by a body bag if available, or a blanket, and restrained. Where the relevant information is available, airlines must heed to not resuscitate orders, DNRs, and also follow strict guidelines on handling the body of the deceased if communicable diseases are suspected. Uh, although aircraft crew are trained to perform CPR, they are not legally certified to pronounce a passenger dead and must therefore contact the relevant medical authorities. Um, in a Kenya uh, Airways situation, there was two on-board deaths within just over a week of each other. Although the aforementioned statistics presented by the CAA indicate that on-board deaths are a rarity, last year during the autumn, two passengers died in separate incidents within just over a week of each other on-board Kenya Airways flights. Um, this is obviously quite unusual, but in the first instance, uh, in August, a passenger travelling from New York to Nairobi developed breathing difficulties seven hours into the flight. Cabin crew members administered first aid, but the worsening of the passenger's condition forced the plane to reroute to Casablanca so that emergency services on the ground could respond to the situation. The passenger was sadly pronounced dead by medical officials. The second incident, uh, this time in September and en route from Nairobi to New York, involved a passenger who was found unresponsive mid-flight. Further medical examination by crew members revealed that the passenger had sadly passed away. That's uh, two very sad, or three very sad mm. situations. And obviously, we extend our condolences to the uh, the friends and family of those involved. Indeed, it must be awful for crew, you know, to have this happen yeah. on a flight. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because because it's such a rare event, isn't it? That's that's the thing. It's such a rare thing to happen, or at least that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, just awful, really. Yeah, not a nice thing to happen. No. But they are trained and... Um, no, I yeah, know. But, you know, I, I guess I just sort of feel really sad. They were either on their way out to go and do something amazing or they were coming back home to share stories. Do you know what I mean? And you just think such a shame that uh, that they didn't get to do either of those things. But uh, there we go. No, shall, Max. Shall we move on? 
You've got uh, the next story. This is great. This is really good news. I like this story lots. Okay. All right, then. UKAviation.news is the source for this one. And the headline is Aircraft Manufacturing Returns to the UK as Britain Norman opens IOW production line. Isle of Wight, of course, I think is what they mean by that, isn't it? An aircraft manufacturing has returned to the UK for the first time in decades as Britain Norman opens its new production line for BN Islander aircraft at Bembridge in the Isle of Wight. The Islander uh, has been uh, produced in various variants for the last 50 years, but production was moved to Eastern Europe in the 1960s. But Britain Norman has now fully repatriated its production back to its home at Bembridge Airport. The production line was officially opened by William Hynett, a CEO of Britain Norman, and Bob Seeley MP for the Isle of Wight. The uh, chief executive of Britain, Norman William Hynett, expressed his enthusiasm for this pivotal moment. We are immensely proud to bring production back to the UK, where our manufacturing story began nearly seven decades ago. Uh, this move underlines our dedication to the highest standards of quality innovation and the resurgence of British aerospace manufacturing. We look forward to a bright future as we continue to build world-class aircraft right here in the UK. The first UK producer Islander should be complete in May 2024 with production expected to increase fourfold by 2027. Uh, Island MP Bob Seeley said uh, that uh, the Islanders return to the Isle of Wight is an important and exciting day. I'm delighted that Britain Norman has made the decision to bring back the production line of their iconic plane to where it was first built on the Isle of Wight. It's a major vote of confidence in the future of the island and a significant investment for our skilled manufacturing base. There we this go. This is great news. Mm, for, uh, absolutely. It, me, me and Nev, we saw one of these, didn't we, Nev? At, uh, it was at East Fortune, wasn't it? They had one inside yes. the hangar there. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, brilliant uh, brilliant aircraft. Very versatile for island hopping and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, no, mm. very, good, very good news indeed um, for employment prospects too. Because they made a two-engine and a three-engine version of that. Yep. Hmm. And I was just talking about surveillance aircraft. I had a chance to fly a couple Islanders in the Middle East, actually, set up in surveillance uh, fashion. They were very, very effective at what they did. I bet. Yeah, this was good news. Perhaps we should um, set up a, a visit to the uh, the factory, Nev, over in the Isle of Wight. <laughs> That's an idea, isn't it? That's good. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You could go yeah. to you. You could go to um, <laughs> Richard's uh, like local, couldn't you? While you were there, yes, we'd go and see Richard, couldn't we? While we were there, yeah, good idea, that Matt. Well done. Hmm. Now, all important oh. stories. It's the last story, oh, and yes. um, we're leaving this one oh, up for Armando. No. Yeah, it's a very important story that we needed to get out this week. Did we? Show. Yeah. Speaking of a visit to the factory, a couple has been caught. <laughs> having a love moment in a lavatory during an easy jet flight over France. How romantic. France, <laughs> is, always, music. France is always so romantic. <laughs> this aircraft, this easy jet aircraft was flying from none other than Luton uh, to Spain when the couple entered a lavatory at the rear of the aircraft, uh, the A320. As passengers noticed them, they made the crew aware of the um, project and prepared to film. 
In a disturbing moment, the flight attendant opened the door of the lab at the rear of the aircraft where the couple was having their affair. All the passengers were looking on. The man quickly closed the door and uh, people at the back of the airplane were either shocked, embarrassed, or laughing. The flight landed at Ibiza on September 8th. Um, now, EasyJet did confirm that this took place on one of their flights, and they did say that it is illegal to engage in sexual activities in a public bathroom. Uh, cops were also informed by the staff on board the aircraft. Uh, the airline did say, we can confirm that this flight from Luton to Ibiza was met by the police on arrival to do, due to the behavior of two passengers on board. What a shame that we can't show the video, right, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I did watch the video, I have to say. I mean, and we were talking about this before we started the show, um, and uh, I have to say one of the things that bothers me the most about this is I don't really understand... I, I don't understand why there was the need to open the door. <laughs> I... Why not? Well, I, I can think of lots of reasons why not. Um, I mean... Maybe could, it was could a been, social experiment. It could have been a social experiment. But there could have been children on board. There could have been all sorts of... You know, there's lots of reasons why it would have probably been more prudent to have, you know, like, discussed the matter afterwards, shall we say. Let, let them finish. <laughs> I mean, if you want to put a label on it. I was yeah. saying... <laughs> before the show started that I'm actually just impressed by the size of the lavatory right. in on an EasyJet aircraft. <laughs> right. Okay, good. Lovely. I'm glad you finished that sentence. I'm also, so ready. Like to, uh, uh, for effect. Point, of, point of order here as well. Yes. Uh, it's always referred to as the Mile High Club. Of course, it, right. that's a ridiculous thing because it would be at least five nautical miles, uh, <laughs> which is just over 30,000 feet. So let's have the nomenclature correct, if we can. Yeah, but what's the difference between one and five Oh, miles, no. right? <laughs> In a pressurised aircraft, quite a lot. Are you a fully stamped up member, Nev? Moving on. <laughs> mm, I think we've lost Matt. Yeah. Anyway, I if you want to see I'm that, shut my mic off. If you want to watch that video, Matt will uh, put the uh, links in the show notes. So if you wanted to go, and well, we will then. Be able to see that. Yeah. But well, um, Micah, <laughs> Micah actually has a great point. Where uh, that's also how we tend to explain it. It's like, well, uh, yes, when uh, Mama Bear and Papa Bear love each other a lot, they give each other a real kind of special hug. You know? <laughs> there you go. Maybe we should have done a, a video caption this. No. Right? No. Nice. No. For next week. It is on. Oh, man. Matt is vetoing it. Nope. 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 If I can't cope while we're talking about it, I'm going to have no hope if this. <laughs> and on that bombshell. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I guess speaking of caption this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's up next, Armando? Uh, Carlos, you've got this. This caption this. Um, man, I feel like I haven't participated in a caption this in a long time. It's shall over I... to you then. You can, you can take the lead on this one, Armando. Shall I describe yeah. the photo? Yeah. Yeah, um, I do. I do have a small problem. I don't have the picture, just so that people know. Oh, it's it's it is on the show notes. Um, 
That doesn't help me on the so, bro- that doesn't help me on the broadcast tower. Hold on, hold on, Matt. I'm now put. I'm now literally Thank putting you very it much. for you what right be, now. Very great. It'll be good. I can I can only imagine that this is a 707. Uh, <laughs> definitely a four-engine jet. Um, I would assume this is a 707, uh, which has traditionally four engines. However, the number three engine. Uh, does seem to be missing now this is aircraft is not on the ground it is in the air uh, and it is uh, looks like it uh, was an unscheduled departure of the number three engine um, and then just to finish the description I'm, I'm actually going to start from the bottom here uh, Bob actually sent in a uh, caption that says welcome to PPA Peppa Pig Air because yeah. the remain the remaining pylon does actually look like <laughs> Peppa Pig <laughs> um, oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah, if you look at it, right? Yeah, it's like looking paint, at it. Paint, paint it pink and you're laughing, aren't you? I did have to lich. I, on it, when I saw that, I thought, what's he on about? Yeah. And then I looked and I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, people I, with kids. Did you genuinely, did you, I don't have children. Even I know what Peppa Pig is. You, you, well, I know what Peppa Pig is, but I thought, I, I couldn't picture the Peppa Pig along with the pylon of an of a engine pilot wow. yeah. listen, to, Mondo, listen. Um, John Jester has just corrected you it's, it's actually a 747-100 oh that's outrageous oh, oh, man look you. at that honestly yeah that's it back, you know, this back is to why school Armando <laughs> this is why I keep him around yeah. so anyway Stephen uh, says uh, when you skip the pre-flight <laughs> yep uh, let's see, Nicholas says, uh, while waiting at the gate, Matt suspected that Carlos's aircraft parts obsession had gone too far mm-hmm. when he quizzed him about why he needed the unusually large spanner in his la- hand luggage. Yep, yeah, I'm not at all surprised by Very that. Very true. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Nev? Uh, John says the new weight and fuel saving measure for four engine aircraft. <laughs> uh, Nick? Uh, the next one is from John, and he says, stop, before we go any further... Do you remember what button you pressed last time? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Ray says, flight testing, the latest silent engine. Ah, definitely the future. Yep. 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 Uh, Neil says, uh, PTUK Airlines, solution to cutting emissions. Uh, Bill (laughs) says, uh, Pratt & Whitless test the new stealth engine (laughs) in their 747 (laughs) test bed. After landing, the project engineer said, we like what we don't see. Uh, uh, let, let's see. Richard says, "Take off, drop engines. Without engines, you eliminate the possibility of an engine failure." I mean, that's definitely <laughs> one way of looking at the problem. It's, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah indeed. <laughs> Carlos, uh, Alan says, "Some four-engine jets couldn't dump fuel. Instead, they had other in- innovative ways to reduce weight if they needed to return after takeoff." I mean, you could Good. argue, obviously, with dropping all that weight, Good. it would glide a lot further. It's <laughs> true. Uh, Matt, do you want to take James's? Okay, yeah. Uh, James says, due to coat cutting measures, we've converted our 747s into 746s and have reduced our range. Thank you for flying PTUK Airways. Hey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Stuart says, hang on. Who put this on the wrong way around? Oh, how rude. <laughs> Darry says, uh, all part of one engine out testing. IKEA forgot to pack a fourth engine. Yeah, ah, you see, yeah that, is, right. that is a common problem with flat pack furniture. Nick, yeah. what's Phil saying? Oh, Phil says, bombs away. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep. Uh, same one, Mark Priestley in the 
in the chat room said, after a bombing run. Yeah, somebody, I mean, <laughs> here in the U.S., we have covered stories about parts falling off airplanes, so. Um, Indeed, we shouldn't. Let's see what else. Um, in the chat room there. I, I knew uh, Richard Adams is uh, saying at the top there. He's saying I knew that bog off was offer was too good to be true. That sounds more like something you'd end up doing, Carlos. Buy one get one free. That <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. Mark Priestley suggesting it wouldn't sound as good. I mean that's fair. <laughs> no, no. Mazus is suggesting that Ryanair might be using this as a unique way of saving money. Uh, <laughs> They would do if they had a 7-4 yeah. in the fleet. They'd probably do that, to be fair. Indeed. Um, thank you, for everyone, for your com your, your contributions to the uh, caption list this week. Uh, there'll be another one on our Facebook page next Wednesday. Don't forget to check out our social medias on Facebook for another witty picture next week. Perhaps we'll try and get uh, Armando to find a uh, humorous aviation picture from his side of the pond for next week uh -oh. on the show. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be too busy uh, entertaining me, Carlos. He's I not going to have enough time to do anything like that. That, <laughs> might, that might be the caption this as Matt goes out the door in the skydive plane. Uh, I beg your pardon, what? No, 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 no. I'm moving on to the next part of the show. No, Nev, you had a very interesting chat with a very long-term listener, didn't you? Yeah, it's always great to follow our listeners' journeys, uh, how they're getting on with their, their flying and what they're doing. But trying to meet up with them is, is a bit challenging sometimes because of you know, in, all in different parts of the world. Uh, however, on this occasion, uh, our colleague Jacob uh, had come all the way from Australia to the UK. And uh, our office where I work is down in Brighton and he was doing his training at Gatwick. So it seemed a good opportunity to, to meet up and have a chat with him about how he's been getting on with his flying career and what's next for him so let's go over to London Gatwick Airport well here we are another location recording uh, this time it's the Hilton Hotel London Gatwick Airport and we have our friend Jacob with us hi Jacob hello how are you very well sir very well what a nice opportunity to meet up with you we've uh, we've been communicating for a long time uh, but it's uh, great to see you in person finally yeah it's great very very exciting to be here long long way from home but it's it's good Right, so I've got to ask you, you're not here on vacation or a holiday, are you? No, no, long way from home for a holiday, but no, here for six weeks doing the uh, 7 3 type rating. Fantastic. So, what are you on at the moment? What aircraft are you flying currently? Uh, previously on the Saab, and then we're all changing over to the 737 now. What sort of transition is that going from a, you know, the kind of turboprop that a Saab is uh, to uh, high bypass jet engine? The speed, I think the speed's a huge difference. We're more basically doubling the speed, so everything happens a hell of a lot quicker. Uh, only a couple of weeks in, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it will go once they stick us on the full motion sim. We're in the fixed base sim at the moment, and everything's generally going pretty well, as, as well as we could expect. So, In terms of the handling, is, is it very different? It's very different, yeah, very different. So with the Saab, very forgiving, uh, you could mishandle it relatively easily but you could fix it really well and the 7.3 seems to be a little bit less so with with the swept wing and, and the, the huge engines I was saying before with the go-around procedure is completely different where in the the Saab you put the power up and you pull the control column back but in the 7.3 when you push the thrust levers forwards you get the huge amount of thrust that comes in you're sort of pushing the nose down so that that's a that's a bit of a, a challenge there. Now I'm not an aviation expert I would have thought they've got 737 simulated facilities in Australia. What brings you all the way across uh, halfway around the world? There is, there's, there's quite a few. 
I guess it's just the six weeks that we need to be in a sim non-stop and back-to-back. They don't have the facilities to be able to do that. So they've gone to, I guess, find a 737.org and here we are in Gatwick and, yeah, 737 simming over here. And this is a common thing, actually, because I hear a lot about this, the fact that there's just not enough facilities around the world. This is why guys and girls are doing it overnight and, and all sorts of things. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So we're here. There's another six Aussies over in Milan that are doing it. And there's another whole bunch that are about to head over to oh, somewhere in deepest, darkest America to go do the same sort of thing. So they're literally flinging us all over the world to get it done. And to get this type rating, how much work is it for you? Quite a lot of work. Drinking from a fire hose is, is probably the best way to describe it. It's relatively manageable at the moment, but as I said, not into the full motion sim yet. We're in the fixed base sim. We've done a lot of the theory exams, computer-based training, but we've got the actual pen and paper exams all to come still, so those ones are quite difficult. We'll get there, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. And assuming all goes well, I'm sure it will, when would you expect to be in the right-hand seat of a 7.3? Uh, November. About the beginning of November, we'll start the line training. So we go back to Sydney mid-October. We go do some conversion courses in Sydney. We do another whole bunch of sims, but that's more company-specific sims as opposed to the Boeing 7.3 sims over here. That takes a couple of weeks, and then I guess, yeah, November, mid-November, we'll actually be in the plane for real, kicking the tyres and, and taking off with people in the back. Very cool. So what sort of routes do you think you'll be flying uh, back home? Uh, based out of Sydney, so all the all the Sydney routes. They, they generally send you all around the country. So you might start and end in Sydney, but you could be up doing like a Brisbane overnight and a Cairns overnight or a Melbourne. Uh, hopefully not too much in Perth because that's that's just a long way from Sydney. But it's it's all over network wide really. Is it only within Australia or do you fly to New Zealand as well? No, we do New Zealand. We do New Zealand. There's a couple of the islands, Fiji, Bali. Uh, they've just dipped their toe in the water in Japan, so they now do Cairns to Japan as well. And so slowly, slowly expanding the international footprint a little bit. But hopefully, I've got three kids and a wife, so hopefully the, the, the day trips, they're the ones that I'm after, not the long trips away. Yeah, you want to be home every night if you can. Yeah, yeah, if I can, absolutely. Just thinking about the fact that you're going from being a captain on the Saab 340 to the right-hand seat of a 7.3, how challenging is that for you, for you personally, do you think? Well, I'm actually looking forward to kicking back and relaxing a little bit. I, I, think, I think it'll be quite fun just to kind of go back and go, oh, well, if a problem happens, just look over to my left and go, oh, Captain, what are you going to do about that? I'm just going to sit here and, I don't know, drink my tea. Uh, well, uh, it'll be good. I think it'll be a bit of fun. It's, I'm not sure what the, the time to command is, but it's not, it's not a short time to command. So I think it'll be, it'll be good to sit in the right-hand seat for a while and, and learn the ropes and just kind of get comfortable in a new jet and, and take it from there. But I'm, I'm looking forward to being an FO again for, for a bit. should be fun. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Now, we were talking before about the differences between uh, being qualified in the UK and in Australia. Give us a, a bit of a flavour about the differences b between those two, between the two countries. Well, I'm far from an expert, but I do know that my Australian ATPL does not translate to a UK ATPL very easily at all. I looked into it a little bit and we have, we'd have to sit 13 of the 14 exams again and pass a whole bunch of flight tests, which is, a, I feel a little bit backwards, but it's, it's, it's just the way it is. I guess the, the Australian version of the ATBL doesn't translate well. So it's, it's, yeah, more or less, it's a worthless document outside of Australia or outside of an Australian registered aircraft, I might say. 
Interesting. Now, this training that you're doing, is this very much, um, obviously it's the practical hands-on clearly, but is a lot of it computer-based training now as well? Yeah, so we've done, there's two components. There's Boeing-specific computer-based training, which we've all done. And then once we get back to Australia, then there's the company-specific computer-based training. I think there's, I don't know, 40 or 50 hours of computer-based training that we've already done in the past. And then we got another, about an equal amount, once we get back to do the... I guess the company specifics on how our company decides to fly the 737 as opposed to just the generic Boeing 737 uh, CBTs. So lots of sitting there clicking through slideshows. Yeah, it's, it's death by PowerPoint sometimes with, with these things, but you've got to do it. It couldn't be more different from the old days, could it, where it really is, you know, pen and paper and, and, and classroom instruction. Did, did you go through that at all, of, or has all of your training been through CBT? There's been, we had a, about a week where it was classroom, and that was more on the emergency procedure side of things, but the vast majority has been computer-based training. Almost all of it has been you know, computer-based training. We have three exams we do while we're over here, and they're pen and paper, but besides that, it's all, it's all death by PowerPoint. Yeah, an essential uh, part of life, unfortunately, these days, isn't it? Even in my job, I've got to do a lot of that as well. So what are you looking forward to most about being on the 7.3? The autopilot's quite good. The autopilot can do automatic go-arounds, which I think is quite fancy. That'll be good. Getting out of the weather, I think, is the biggest one. Being in the Saab, you're sort of stuck in the mid-teens flight levels, so 16, 17,000 feet, which is right where the weather is. So hoping in this one to be able to climb up through it and having all that excess performance is to pop up above get up to mid 30s and, and cruise around there without you know spilling your tea or coffee in the flight deck so having a lot of excess performance compared to what we've had in the past is going to be I'll be quite looking forward to that and being able to do ILSs everywhere no more NDB or dodgy circling approaches and, and things like that which will be which will be nice yeah, I guess the sophistication of the landing age and all the rest of it uh, in the 7.3 compared to the Saab uh, is chalk and cheese, I would imagine, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, we, they do have very similar instrumentation, but a lot of the airports we flew to in the previous company, it was all regional-based. So you're flying to much smaller regional airports, which just don't have those facilities. So it, it, uh, it'll be nice to kind of go from capital city or big, big airports to big airports and having all the facilities that come along with that. So... Now, we talked about the performance differences between the two aircraft, which are quite obvious in terms of the engines. But what about the cockpit layout? How different is the 7.3 to what you've been used to? Well, the first thing, all the switches are back to front. So in the Saab, we turn all the switches go on when you flick them up. And in the Boeing, it's the other way around. You flick them on the overhead panel, you flick them all down. So I've been turning all the switches off and I should have been turning them on and, and vice versa for the past two weeks. But getting the hang out of that... The flight deck's about the same size. I'd say the Saab might actually be a little bit bigger in, in the flight deck. Uh, it seems that the, the, the 7.3 is a bit narrower well, than I was expecting, I guess, anyway. But um, layout is, is about the same. But, yeah, the switch is being in the wrong position. That's, that's, that's one that's getting me at the moment. So I keep turning bleeds off and engines start switches to the wrong way. And, and yeah, getting my head around that is, is taking a bit of time. It's a bit like cars when they, when they uh, change the wiper stalk and the indicator stalk um, and you know you go and rent a car and you put the wipers on when you want to turn left and that yeah. Like that. yeah absolutely constantly doing that constantly putting the blinkers on for the wipers yeah, at the moment so trying to wrap my head around that and slow it down so I don't turn an engine bleed off when I'm trying to reset it or turn it back on 
I, I know people. I mean, we were just we just come back from uh, Duxford, and we were interviewing uh, a, a captain of one of the warbirds, and he was saying, yeah, all, all the aircraft are very much the same. You know, you, you you push the nose down, the houses get bigger. You pull the pull the stick back, and the houses get smaller. Clearly, it's far more sophisticated than, than that, and it's a different kind of aircraft. But uh, presumably, the, the, the basic skill set is similar, I, I would imagine. Yeah, it's all the same. The, the It's just the speed that's the difference. The aircraft speeds up and slows down. Well, it speeds up a lot quicker, and it slows down a lot slower. It's a lot harder to slow down. So there's a lot more energy management involved in the 737. The good thing about flying a turboprop is if you're too quick you just put you put the, the the propeller levers up and you can lose 50 or 60 knots in in a couple of seconds really which is great don't quite have that flexibility with a 737 especially if you're on descent we've noticed you just can't slow them down a lot of people have said that it's a very slippery aircraft actually yeah, and if you're getting some pressure from atc to reduce speed or or reduce altitude quickly that, that's quite difficult isn't it yeah it's one or the other you, you can't really go down and slow down at the same time, unless you put the gear down or something like that, but you obviously can't do that all the time. So having more energy focus, I guess, on the 7.3 as opposed to the Saab. The Saab was so forgiving. You could really get it in a, in a weird spot and go, oh, well, I've stuffed this up. Let's put the power levers up, put the thrust, the, the propellers up, and you can really slow down or speed up. But it's, yeah. Obviously, you're quite new uh, because your training's only just started here on, on the 7.3, but what do you think the, the com your company's opinion is about uh, manual handling skills of the aircraft and that kind of thing? They're quite good. They're, they're asking when practicable to fly manually as often as is, is realistic. So you can't obviously do it all the time, especially coming out of busy airports, Sydney and Melbourne. Probably not the time to be doing a, a hand-flown departure or a hand-flown ILS when, especially at Sydney where the runways are only, you know, one and a half kilometres apart or a kilometre apart really probably not the best idea to try hand-flown ILS with a crosswind uh, but a lot of the outports or a lot of the not as busy airports uh, yeah absolutely encouraged to keep the hand flying where possible still using the automation where you need it but yeah absolutely they're, they're, it's I think it's the way of the future encouraging manual handling a lot more just so you don't lose the don't lose the skill I think you need both, don't you? You need the autopilot to, to free up, you know, to give you some thinking time uh, and so that you're not task-saturated, but then to keep your uh, manual handling and flying skills, you know, as sharp as you can. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, FM, the FMC is, is a huge thing that we're not necessarily used to coming from where I previously was. So if you don't use that all the time, if you're constantly clicking the automation off, then you're not going to know really, you're not going to be as competent in that. So I guess once you've it, it, as you said, it's a balance, making sure that you're able to, to run the FMC, make sure that can actually fly the plane when you need it to, but also being able to click it off in a CAVOK day, just click everything off and, and have a hand fly and make sure that you can still do it. So how long are you going to be here for in the UK? Uh, another month, another month. Been here two weeks, got another about a month to go. Have another four or five fixed base sims, or another three or four fixed base sims and then into the full motion sim after that and then, yeah, she'll be home mid-October. Now, you were telling me uh, that during all this time, uh, you've moved house as well, or rather, to be more accurate, your wife and three children have moved house for you, and you're just going to rock up with everything finished. Yeah, so it was just timing worked out. I didn't choose it, I promise. My wife, I'm sorry if you're listening. Uh, it, it just happened to be we bought a house. We signed the contract and the, the, we, the, the start of the, when we picked up the keys just happened to coincide four days after the new job started. 
you can't say no to a new job when it comes, especially in aviation. You kind of got to take the opportunity when it comes. And so it, it ended up like that. With my wife's blessing, I did ask her first. And she was like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Go, go do that. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll, get back to, I'll get back home. And she will have moved everything into the house with the three kids and the cat as well into the new house. So I'm coming home with some shiny artefacts to give her. Yeah, I would if I was you, uh, being an experience in these matters. Uh, yes, uh, and don't criticise anything for at least a month. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything where she's put is perfect. The bedroom's perfect. Everything's perfect. I haven't seen it yet, but everything's perfect. The layout is absolutely perfect. So, yeah, no. Great. Well, it's time for that question that we ask all of our pilot chums. Uh, given the chance to fly any aircraft, so uh, current expired aircraft if you like a GA military commercial I know you're going to be on the 7-3 but what would you really like to fly given the opportunity? Uh, the VC-10 without a shadow of a doubt four engines right at the back super quick it's an old older plane but I would have loved to fly the, the VC-10 it's just hearing stories of people fly it it just seemed like an incredible plane and just something special about having a really long skinny fuselage with these massive four engines at the back that just sounds like a hell of a hell of a good plane to fly so that that'll be my choice there well that lovely smoke coming out the back as well you need you need the black smoke coming out the black or yellow smoke whatever it had but yeah well jake it's been an absolute pleasure seeing you today thank you very much indeed for your time and may i wish you all the very best with your training and you'll have to keep us up to date with how it's going with the 7-3 yeah we'll do thanks so much and uh yeah very good to be here thank you now that's an un that's an unusual answer, isn't it? The VC-10. It's what a great aircraft that was, though. Honestly, was it? Um, especially if you were at the front, it was actually reasonably quiet. I oh, okay. Imagine. I never flew on it, but um, yeah, that's a, a, a lot of power on that aircraft. But uh, no, it's absolute pleasure to talk to Jacob, and um, he's still in Gatwick now. I think he's there. Mm. He said for a month or six weeks, something like that. So we're Gosh. still there now. Um, so when I saw him, he'd only been doing the training for about 10 days or so. But uh, no, it was a really nice opportunity to, to speak with him, have a chat with him, and uh, you know, he can take us through his flying career and, and how it's gone so far. But uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll do very well on, on the 7-3, and he can't wait to get his hands on it. I'll tell you what, we, with that and then obviously the Duxford meet-up, I feel like we've sort of got to meet a lot of our our regulars this last sort of couple of weeks, which is really, really lovely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and obviously being being a long-term listener as well. Yeah. You said Nev had been listening since yeah, year dot. Yes. Yeah. We were, I was trying to remember who the, the fellow was before Matt, and I couldn't remember Mr. his name. Mr. Wolthorton, wasn't it? Yes, mm. Simon Wolfhorton. So Simon, things right, are progressing so, then. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, so he's he's been listening from from day one. So, uh, but uh, yeah, all the best to him, and uh, hope he has a great time uh, when he goes back to his new house. In yeah, yeah. yeah. But does that mean, by the way, that we owe him some form of therapy if he's been listening to us for that long? I, I'm surprised he is in the condition he's in. Yeah, yeah. Speaking. Perhaps yeah, we should yeah. we should start doing long long service award or um, <laughs> long service medals. <laughs> Maybe give him a gold mug. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Armando? Oh, no. I get a challenge. I get a PTUK challenge coin made. This is an in this is an industry based on seniority, so I actually like the idea. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Sh I'm sure we could do a, a couple golden mugs. <laughs> Indeed, I quite like the challenge coin idea. As, as a design engineer, I feel a bit of a uh, a little three D CAD design project. Oh, hello. Uh... Excellent. Lovely. That, we'll leave that, that one with you then. Thing. Yeah, we'll we leave that one with you then, Nick. Good luck. Uh, well, if anybody's got any uh, any suggestions or uh, any 
ideas for that they're, they're welcome to email us lovely show. indeed well, sure we need we need plainy mcplain face on the front and mac on the back and uh yeah yeah, I, don't know. I, th I think we need a, I think we need some kind of like sort of uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for is uh, it's, you know it's like you know like they get these busts made don't they or these these like uh, of, of uh, uh, you know legendary characters and I do feel that we somehow need to have like Nev in seat 1A as like some kind of like gold golden like bust type sort of thing well, we were, we were going to do a kind of a nodding dog <laughs> weren't we well, you, you gotta don't need to talk about Nev like that. Of... That's just rude. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be careful with these kinds of like uh, commissioned art pieces because right. uh, Carlos, you were there at my retirement uh, from the military where they uh, presented me uh, basically a pencil drawing of what was what was supposed to be me uh, and, and a lot of the aircraft that I had flown in the Air Force and. And, you know, it was one of those moments where you kind of unwrapped it. It was like, and you looked at it and you're like, oh, this is great. And then I looked at it closely and I was like, that's weird. It looks a little bit like Smeagol. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it just didn't, could, didn't, wasn't there a statue of Ronaldo like unveiled that didn't look like him at all? Looked like a, yeah, like a, awesome. like a five-year-old yeah. had shaped some mashed potatoes in the shape yeah. of a human. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so you got to be careful with these kinds yeah. of things. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, being suggested as, as one solution from Richard Adams, by the way, while we're talking about, uh, you know, like a long service medal, Carlos, uh, the kitchen clock from the old kitchen days is being oh my word, suggested yes. as a, because that would, of course, that was prevalent in the, before we went all digital, that was prevalent in the background for many a, many a hundred of shows. Yeah, you should just give away your kitchen implements, yeah, yeah, Carlos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah there yeah. we go. I'll just give away the kitchen. Although I have to yeah. say, one of the one of the most popular parts of of doing the show when we were in the kitchen was when Gemma came home putting all the way the shopping. So mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you oh, can give you can, away the wife. You can give away the wife if you like. That'll be an option. Yeah, no, I was. <laughs> We're giving I was you away as a long-time service prize for our listener. <laughs> I was thinking more of the placemats, but you went there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, well, I mean, it, you know, it was I often. I didn't get a reply. Did you not? Right, deathly silence. I mean, it was often referred to as the best part of the show. I'm not going to lie. Uh... <laughs> Look at that, Micah just said in the chat room. Yeah, absolutely. Gemma's always the best part of the show. Yeah, gone, uh... gone downhill ever since. You see, yeah, I totally definitely agree. Not yeah. Above your weight, there, Carlos. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, don't... Don't we all agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. <laughs> Let's yeah, get yeah. back yeah, to yeah. Actually, to speak, speaking of people who need long service men medals, Gemma. Uh... <laughs> oh, God, don't you start. Please, I've run out of beer. Have oh, you? oh, dear. Lovely. Yeah. And the, way, the weird thing is, is she'll, she'll bring you one. That's the annoying bit. Oh, no. She's brought me a cup of tea. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, that dear. qualifies yeah. as a golden mug, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Amber nectar is the word we're looking for. Anyway, sorry. Military. Anyway, as you have a beer ready there, Armand. <laughs> Though, it's time to hand things over to you. Matthew, hit the button. Let's go. Oh, go blimey. <laughs> What's up, buggies? One, three, five, fifty, angel, sixteen, eight, three, four, zero. Okay. Can we invite some of our long-standing listeners to just hear what goes on, like yeah, <laughs> when, like in the when the mics are shut? Yeah. 
so speaking of family show, the first military story that we have is actually it has to do with Fortnite, the video game. Uh, this popular uh, 3D computer graphics game that the engine was developed by Epic Games and first showcased in 1998. Now, this is actually helping Boeing right now upgrade the iconic B-52 Stratofortress uh, to the B-52J. Um, the uh, a media outlet Defense One reported that Unreal Engine 5, the software that powers, among others, the famous Fortnite game, um, is generating a 3D environment that lets pilots and maintainers virtually interact with a digital representation of the B-52J, um, for instance, to perform and practice startup shutdown procedures of the new Rolls-Royce engines that are going on to the B-52. So this virtual scenario is generated by the commercial graphics engine, um, it allows Boeing to apply modifications, tune configurations, get feedback well before upgrades are implemented on the actual airframes, uh, reducing cost and delivery time. Now, this is especially special to me because I used to work, my, my one staff tour was at the Air Force Research Lab where um, the feedback loop between the end user and the engineers is sometimes a little uh, cavernous, right? And, and clunky, and I think is the word we yeah. like it. Clunky. <laughs> right. Uh, Nixon engineer, he gets it right. But uh, it, it is uh, great for the military and the, and, and the uh, manufacturers of these things to get that kind of feedback, especially from maintainers uh, before they actually produce the parts, which is kind of one, one of the things that they're doing. Now, Epic Games, the, the Fortnite developers, their engine has been used for video games as well as powering uh, famous graphics to augment NASCAR uh, here in the U.S., NASCAR, the broadcast experience, and many other sporting events. Now the engine is used to power simulation supporting the commercial engine replacement program. Uh, obviously, to find that was to find the B-52's replacement engines. Um, and uh, also, some of these uh, engines are already being used on uh, Gulfstream business jets and the C-37, which is essentially a, a military business jet. Um, but uh, one of the reasons I picked this, right, because it's virtual reality and augmented reality is I saw this 10 years ago uh, at one of the tech school air bases where they were using this to train loadmasters on emergency procedures in the back of the airplane and some of their standard procedures. But I, when I went to a Part 135 airline, they had virtual reality, uh, the full goggles, uh, the full experience, and it was almost a... Uh, a pre-maneuvers validation process to go through the virtual reality uh, flows before you actually got into the sim because sims are expensive to run. Um, Air Force technical training, like I just said, the uh, Air Force undergraduate pilot training used to be called 2.0 or 2.5. Now it's just UPT. Um, that is reducing times. We've done a couple stories on that in the on the show um, where they're using that virtual reality, augmented reality in a static setting before the the students ever sit in the airplane um, and then and then i have a friend that actually teaches at the air force academy and she is using virtual reality uh with a t6 simulator carlos you would love this right like but it's basically a fully immersive t6 oh, yeah. to teach combat maneuvers and formation flying and by all accounts it has reduced training times significantly um, but it's not just the pilots is why this story is there. It's it's for maintenance. It's for the loadmasters, for all the engineers, mechanics, everybody. So really I, cool. Am I the only one who's, whose mind is absolutely blown by that? You think essentially 
a, you know, a world-renowned computer game is responsible for some of the biggest advances in aviation. You know, it's just nuts. Even more mind-blowing, I was on a project once that uh, had subcontracted Disney Imagineers Whoa, for okay. the U.S. Air Force to develop a 3D modeling uh, of structures and and uh, lidar, basically lidar imagery superimposed with uh, with uh, electro electro optical imagery. So basically, creating a 3D world. Well, you could try to teach a bunch of military people to do it, or you could just hire the best people in the world, which was, you know, Pixar and Disney Imagineers, and they came out True, and had a government yeah. contract, and and they did it in about, you know, a tenth of the time that it would have taken the government to figure out. Yeah. Well, and probably this. ironically cheaper in the long run as well, you know, because you, yeah. you haven't got all that, you know, they're already using technology that's tried and tested in their industry and applying it to the, the military world. And it just like, just that's, it's just utterly nuts. Utterly yeah. And nuts. you get, it really kind of boils down to actually the company's culture, mission, vision, mm. and their stakeholders, because some companies don't want to be involved in defense work. Mm. Uh, while others are kind of, you know, shooting for it. So, mm. um, for example, Google, we, we approached Google and they said, no, it's, we're not, it's not our, it's not in our business to go, you know, whatever what we were asking them to do. They said, no, it's, we're, we're going to pass on that. So, huh. there you go. Love that. So speaking of virtual reality, uh, let's see, I think, uh, Nev, Nev, Carlos, Nev, you want the next one? Yeah, the um, military stories often have uh, poorly constructed acronyms, in, in my experience. <laughs> and, uh, this one will not disappoint. Um, <laughs> it's on BreakingDefense.com. It says that uh, Army picks Griffon Textron to proceed with RQ-7B shadow replacement competition. Uh, Griffin Aerospace and Textron Systems have been selected to move ahead with the second phase of the Army's Future Tactical Uncrewed Aircraft Systems, F2S, uh, Increment 2 competition, the service announced today. Uh, after selecting five companies for the first phase of its RQ-7B shadow replacement competition, uh, sorry, completion earlier this year, the Army evaluated submissions against requirements of performance, modular open systems, approach, uh, MOSA, MOSA, cost, schedule, risk and Army priorities before conducting a preliminary design of review. Ultimately adopted to cut Aerovironment, Northrop Grumman and Sierra Nevada Corporation from the next complete, uh, competition phase and only award Griffin and Textron with deals for the increment two of the programme. Uh, after that critical design review, there are additional agreement options covering flight demonstrations and MOSA uh, verification before the duo deliver production representative F2S for developmental testing and operational demonstrations to include uh, soldier touch points. Uh, these systems will undergo numerous evaluate, evaluation activities such as environmental testing, electromagnetic environmental effects testing, transportability testing, MOSA verification, flight testing and technical manual verification, the Army said. The ultimate goal, it added, is to field a new unmanned aircraft fleet with increased manoeuvrability spelt incorrectly by the way, uh, enhanced <laughs> command control, uh, reduced logistics footprint and is less noisy. Textron Systems is offering its Aerosond UAV for this phase of the F2S program, whilst Griffin 
is offering up the Valiant, according to previous army pictures. Meanwhile, the army is to pair down the field to these two contenders, which uh, means that Aerovironment's interim solution, the Jump 20, is out. Last year, the service awarded the company with an $8 million contract to buy one Jump 20 system, which included six air vehicles, ground data terminals and ground control stations. Uh, the Pentagon also announced plans to send that unmanned system to Ukraine. Uh, Textron is, of course, Cessna, Beechcraft and Hawker. Just <laughs> what, Nev? Well. What was that last one? I'm not saying it again. I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> These guys. These guys were giving me uh, grief because I say Hawker. 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 <laughs> uh, we'll I have a great. Actually, to be Hawk. fair, I should stress that there was only one of our team who was giving you grief for it. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, Nick. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Say after me. Come along, <laughs> dear boy. That's uh, the King's English. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, nah, oh, it'll always be Queen's English for me. I'm afraid. All right. Well, uh, speaking of disastrous landings. Uh, I saw this. I'm, I'm glad you picked or got this one in because I saw the video of this online. It it looked. Yeah, so, it wasn't so full of issues. It wasn't great. Uh, this dramatic video that we're talking about is uh, Malian Air Force uh, IL-76. Uh, this was a cargo jet overrunning the runway at Gao International Air Airport and subsequently exploding in a ball of fire. The incident did take place last week. The footage, which uh, Matt, I don't know if you can play it or not. I'll give it um, a try while you're chatting. Yep. Uh, so it shows the four-engined aircraft with a Malian registration uh, Tango Zulu 98 Tango uh, descending before touching down on the airport's uh, runway 06 left on September 23rd. At present, details are scarce and uh, the fate of the crew and the passengers are a little bit unclear, although some existing reports have suggested the possibility that some individuals may have been rescued from the wreckage. Uh, filmed from behind the IL-76 during its landing, the video shows the aircraft going towards the end of the runway before careening straight into the dirt, kicking up large dust clouds in the process. Although the moments before the jet's destruction are obscured by the dust clouds, it is possible to see the aircraft's uh, horizontal stabilizer kind of up in the air uh, based on some existing photos that I saw of the wreckage in the uh, aftermath of the incident. It, the point in the video looks to be the moment that the L-76 actually dropped down the embankment before uh, bursting into flames. Obviously, we don't know why they touched down so far down the runway. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on whether or not you can see thrust reversers being deployed. Um, you can't really tell from that video. Also, you can't really tell if the uh, brakes are being applied at maximum force. But as you can see there, just kind of goes off the runway at pretty high speed. And I've been to Gao. Well, we used to do some exercises between Bamako and Gao. And uh, it is exactly what it looks like. The airport just sits up on a mesa. And uh, there you go. So the the aftermath pictures show a pretty devastating scene. You can see some of the cargo that was inside kind of strewn about. Um, and then there was some open source reporting that uh, upwards of 100 Malian uh, armed Forces personnel, as well as some uh, Wagner uh, group, private military company, were killed in the crash, although none of those have been independently identified. Um, obviously, the, the Wagner group has been active in Mali for a couple of years now, but 
there you go. Yeah, this is a, a string of losses for the Malian Air Force. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see a report come out of this, but pretty devastating. Um, the weather looked fairly clear. It can get really windy. We don't know the, the weather conditions at the time there, but uh, it is the it is Gauss. It's at the edge of the Sahara Desert, so it does get pretty gusty and windy, uh, but, but it looks like the vis visibility was fairly clear, so very unfortunate incident. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of people commenting on this video when it was um, first shown on uh, social media. There was a lot of people commenting on what they thought the issues were with this. Um, yeah, the trouble is, is it? Uh, I mean, we, we've said it before and we'll say it again. You know, I, I do think everybody just needs to sit tight because they will get to the bottom of of you know what what's happened here if you see what i mean i i don't think it helps anyone does it if we start sort of you know just sort of uh, like yeah. guessing you know i think i think information is just going to be scarce on this one and especially mm. if they were actually carrying wagner group people then then it's just all going to be yeah. clouded anyways um Fair. yeah carlos i think you've got the next story uh which yes. is right up your alley actually it's another yeah, virtual reality same. Yeah, a bit yeah. of simming. Uh, this is on, from the drive.com, and uh, Ukraine's Air Force is not waiting for training programs taking place outside the country to begin the process of familiarizing their pilots on the F-16 Viper. It's jump-starting that training at its air bases across the country. When they're not uh, taking to the skies in their Soviet-designed Su-27 flankers and MiG-29 fulcrums against Russian targets, Ukraine pilots are spending some of their spare moments flying virtual reality or VR F-16 simulators. This looks so good. Uh, with a big smile, Ukrainian pilot Adri said he will show viewers what it's like to fly the simulator, which consists of a VR headset control, uh, control stick, throttle pedals, and a screen showing the simulated flight in progress so instructors can help guide the student. There are some major differences between the Viper and Flanker beyond, uh, beyond performance, chiefly the cockpit interfaces and basic concept of operations. Andri noted the Viper is controlled by a side stick to the pilot's right instead of a control column in the middle. The software being used is a Digital Combat Simulator, or DCS, running the F-16C module. Uh, there are similar DCS-based systems uh, used at home by many enthusiasts as well as by the U.S. Air Force and the A-10 Warthog pilots at the 355th Training Squadron at davis Monthan Air Base in Arizona. It's part of a low-cost way to augment aerial training. Last year, a Ukrainian infantryman managed to crowdfund development of a secret A-10 Warthog simulation training center similar to one at davis Monthan. Uh, Oleski Daikiv, one of the Ukrainian Air Force training commanders, said the F-16 simulators have been placed all uh, all uh, Ukrainian tactical aviation brigades so that pilots can familiarize themselves enough with the F-16 to shorten their time training outside of their country. As the drive reported before, uh, training for Ukrainians in language and operational skills is already taking place in the UK and Denmark, with many other countries pledging to take part as well. Training will also begin in the US, and the Pentagon's top spokesman uh, told reporters this week. At the recent Air and Space Forces Association conference at the National Harbor, Maryland, Air National Guard Air Force Lieutenant General Michael Lowell Estimated it would take around nine months for 
for Ukrainian pilots to just out of basic training learn to fly an F-16. For those with combat experience, however, I think three months is absolutely realistic, he said. There have been dozens of F-16s promised to Kiev by Denmark, the Netherlands, Norway and international effort as well to ensure those aircraft have pilots trained to fly them. And uh, for the Air Force motivated to uh, interrogate fourth-generation fighters into its flying operations as quickly or integrate as possible, spending downtime with F-16 simulators seems like a winning proposition. There are, of course, differences between commercially available flight simulator software and full-up F-16 simulators, let alone real flight. DCS, however, has an extremely high fidelity and are effective for general familiarization and some procedural training, which is how they are being used at David Martin, as they noted earlier. How much time flying those simulators in Ukraine can shave off the training programs taking place outside Ukraine, however, remains to be seen. Well, it's safe to say, I think, if these guys have flown uh, an F-16 simulator, because I think it was an add-on. I'm fairly sure that with the Microsoft, the the previous version of Microsoft Flight Sim, you could get, at, uh, I think, Armando, you could get an F-16 mm-hmm. add-on for that, which was, if I remember rightly, it wasn't that shabby, really. No, I think some of these are very realistic, and uh, I was watching a YouTube video on specifically this DCS, F-16 startup and the startup sequence, I think he did it in like two minutes. I mean, it is as realistic as the real airplanes. And as we were just talking about, some of those pre-flight actions are the things that take the longest to train. Uh, But you can get into a simulator and and Carlos, you know, I know that, um, I don't know if anybody actually watched our home simulator special, except for about 13 people, hopefully more than that. But, um, you know, it can be a a very good tool um, before you get into the actual cockpit of an airplane. Yeah. Although it would be nice to have a full motion sim at home, I think. Is that going to be your next? <laughs> that's that's going to be the next. Um... Oh, goodness me. You've got more chance of getting an action <laughs> aircraft in your garden, I think. Well, I've got bits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. Maybe you could just invite Matt over and have one of those like eight-way ergonomic chairs, and then he can just move it around while you make airplane noises. <laughs> An Matt. option, certainly. Oh, look! Yeah. At, actually, Oscar says in the chat room that uh, the Flixton Aviation Museum has installed a lot of simulators. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they've actually they've got one of those Ooh. really old-school sims, Armando, from like back in the uh, in World War Two. Remember the ones that were like just like a box? Oh, you know, if you can. I was just talking about these with uh, my co-pilot. Um, if you can master one of those and you can actually do some instrument flying in one of those old instrument trainers with no visuals, you're a pro. Mm. You should go do it. Actually, we're, we're probably encouraging Oscar now. He's going to go and speak to his mum now and say, can I, have a, uh, <laughs> can I have a brand new gaming PC, simulator parts, joystick, control yoke, throttle quadrant? Mum's going to have to sell a lot of cakes. Yes, in order she's going to have to sell a lot of cakes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to do that. Oscar, I, 
Paul Haley, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Put that on your Chris on your Christmas <laughs> list, Oscar. I'm sure. Um, yeah, your Christmas yeah. and birthday list for the next twenty years. I think. Twenty years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in all seriousness, no. I I I was speaking to Oscar or Oscar and his mum a few weeks back now mm. at an event I was at, and he, he's um, he's got loads of great aviation bits and pieces lined up for oh, the not too distant future. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. He's uh, he's looking we, forward to doing a lot. We look forward. We look forward to a, a full report, yeah. please. Record it on your phone. Send it in. I'm sure he will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where we bring the military news to a close. No. Right on time. Right on time. Now, did we, have we got a book this week? I couldn't remember no. for the life of me whether we had a book quiz this week. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to, because um, we didn't have a show last week, so mm. what I'm going to do is during the week uh, repeat the question uh, for the book which we are going to be uh, giving away. Um, this next week so um, mm. I'll do that during the week and you can uh, have a look at there and uh, send in your answers so we'll put it on our Facebook Definitely. page now next week obviously Matt is not going to be in the UK but we are hoping by the means of technology that we'll be able to still be live next Friday because obviously Matt you're off to the US you're going to go and see am I? Armando. Am I? Very exciting. Oh, that's brand new and shocking information. Uh, yeah, we have three. Um, we have three plans uh, up our sleeve. So uh, if if we can't make at least one of them work, I shall cry. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm very confident that we will have some form of show. Um, the The plan is to have a perfectly normal show controlled digitally um, from the United States. Um, and then, uh, if not, we'll use another piece of software to do it. And if that, if all else fails, then we'll make you come to the studio. Mizzou uh, will not give up, we, will he? We will literally try absolutely everything we can before we put you back in the studio. The chat room are definitely not giving up, Matt. The chat room is not giving up, Matt. Giving up on what? I'm not looking at the chat room because I know what they're going to be talking about, and I'm not just no. <laughs> Just not happening. Absolutely not happening. Oh, no, it's, it's going to be great. I hope you enjoy your uh, trip across to the US, Matt, I'm sure. We weirdly, this is, this is I I'm both really, really excited and I have to say, like the last couple of days or so, the nerves have really kicked in now. Um, the whole flying thing has the nerves. I'd been really like, quite chill about it and stuff, but actually... Um, last night and this morning um last night i didn't sleep at all because it sort of it sort of like hit what's what's around the corner uh, but it'll uh, be fine yeah 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 i'm, I'm sure it's but, a it, the best part is it's a direct flight from london to charlotte yeah yeah no problem you can even get up and walk around if you want to and it's not on a 75 either and it's not on a 75 no 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 in fact i can tell you the exact aircraft now because i've just hang on let me let me find the app hang on and it matt's even chosen his meal he's done the done the yeah, thing yeah, and, yeah, and chosen that. his that uh, bit out. Yeah, choice yeah. of meal so i am going to be on a boeing 777-200 er there you go there you go there we go and what day are you doing the skydive exactly when you get out there. Anyway, thanks uh, everyone for joining us on the podcast today. <laughs> Even Oscar agrees. <laughs> you can't. You cannot. You cannot say no to Oscar, Matt. I'm sorry. The, the, those seatbelts when uh, when the uh, biplane goes upside down. <laughs> I thought he's doing wings. Case. <laughs> Jeez, poor anyway, man. Matt's gone awfully quiet. He's gone awfully quiet. <laughs> he anyway, just said he's getting more and more nervous about the whole thing. 
Yes. I, yeah. I would I would personally be looking forward to the uh, to the biscuits mm. or the donuts. John, That's you can. Long haul flying is all about the snacks, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. John, Oscar, you can both do one. <laughs> Mark, you can do one as well. Uh... <laughs> and don't and don't forget, you need to. Captain need to Ridiculous have, have... Ritz, you can also do one. <laughs> you need to have one of American Airlines' world famous, um, you know, the uh, the Sunday, you know, the uh, ice cream Sundays. <laughs> Richard Adams, you can also do one. Uh, <laughs> I think we'll get the point. Uh, Richard E. Flag, yeah. At UK Airfield, <laughs> you can also do one. <laughs> anyway, quick round, Rob, before we finish the show. Nev, what are you up to next week? Are you doing any flying soon? I am. Um, week after next, I shall be uh, up to Edinburgh again. But next week, it's all about being in the car again. Uh, we're going next week. Brighton. Cool. Colchester, uh, the lovely Excel Centre. We'll be doing a show for two days there. Uh, then a bit of London. Trying to dodge the train strikes again. Ooh, awful when we have uh, shows on where there's a train strike. So that's always difficult to do. But uh, no, another hectic week next week. Um, but um, yeah, looking forward to a couple of days off this weekend, I must say. It's been a bit of, a bit hectic this week when mm. we're driving to. So. Nick, what's going on in the world of uh, Nick next week? Anything exciting? Uh, yeah, I might try and do a little trip up to Wales on the bike before it gets all, a bit too autumnal. Nice. Nice part of the country. It is. Definitely, yeah. So. That sounds good. Let's hope the weather stays good for you. Better than what I've just had the last week I've been there anyway. <laughs> Armando, what's going on in the world of uh, GA excitement uh, over your way? Uh, well, GA, tomorrow morning, taking the fam... Uh, in the cub to a fly-in that's the long island fly-in and now not long island new york but long island north carolina uh, so we'll do that tomorrow morning and then next week i'm on a three-day trip uh, from uh, charlotte up to minnesota and i will actually be getting back the same day as as uh, matt coming into the states oh, very good that's exciting and uh matt anything exciting for you next week you're going to come see me for dinner yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, 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 nothing planned next week. Very chill. <laughs> Very chill. Excellent. Except for that costume. <laughs> I look forward Shh. to the pictures. <laughs> and next week I shall be uh, going back to work. Congratulations. Which will be, be exciting. Yeah. And having Matt descend on the um, my office at 1pm in the afternoon for tea. Well, no, because I'm not going to be there. So. Well, Monday you will. Oh, 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 right. Okay, fair enough. Duly noted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Mark says he wouldn't. He'd like. He wouldn't miss your radio show for anything. Or oh, you're going to miss the radio show as well. Mark says. Mark Priestley in the chat room. Um, they're desperate for me to do it, but um, it, it's the time issue. Cause there it, is an issue with because it's a seven a.m. start in the UK, which is what time where you are, Ooh. Armando. It's five. Four, I could do it before bed, yeah, I guess. <laughs> 2 a.m. 1 a.m. Five hours in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed. But hopefully, fingers crossed, everyone, we will be back next Friday for another pack show. Don't forget as well, uh, Nev is probably going to. Uh, we're probably going to just post that question as well on Facebook for mm. that book uh, for next week as well. Uh, we'll get that done this week. And um, yeah, and I have actually got a uh, another prize to give away in another competition we've got coming up soon a little prize that we got from the duxford uh 
air display a few weeks ago and i've actually got a a sally b mug which we're going to be giving away uh, on the show very soon as well so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that so Indeed. that is about all we've got time for for episode 473 of the show big thanks to everyone who's tuned in this week everyone who's listening to the show via an audio podcast thank you for downloading us as you do each week it's great to uh, to have you guys on board and obviously the chat room great to see everyone in the chat the chat room this week great to see everyone in there don't forget to stay tuned next friday hopefully fingers crossed touch wood do, do we tell like nick that. That, do we tell do we tell nick that everybody can see him sorry <laughs> everyone can see yes <laughs> He says hello. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next Friday, all things being well, for episode 474, ever closer to the 500th. <laughs> anyway, from me here in the home studio, from Matt in the rather warm PTUK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his luxury studios in the countryside, <laughs> and from Armando over in the US with the dogs. With, with the most stressed out dogs in the I know. world. And yeah. from Nick as well. And also a big thanks to everyone who's worked hard on the show again this week. Nick and Owen as well. Uh, J- John as well, who's worked hard on the show this well, week. Well, that's that one, Ruin. That that's that one, well bugger. Anyway, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you next Friday. Matt, don't forget to take your PC. 